Mark chapter 5, and starting in verse 25, as we continue our series of, of Advent for, for the poor. It says in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 25, that a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. And for she thought that if I just touch his garments, I will get well. And immediately the flow of blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she had been healed at the word of the Lord. And now this is a woman whose name we will never even know exactly what her name was. And based on what we read about her in this text, it seems like her understanding about who Jesus was in this moment is nothing more than he's just a meal, or, or is that he is a miracle worker. Maybe she had some comprehension that he was the Messiah who was long anticipated, but, but it seems like all that she really knows in this moment is that, that he can help her. And even though we don't know what her name is, her faith and her determination to get clean is so significant that we read about her in all but one of the gospel books. And we marvel at this woman more than 2,000 years later because this is an absolutely helpless, hopeless woman who is waiting and waiting and waiting for her peace of mind and for her peace of heart. In a lot of ways, she reminds me of where King David is in Psalm 142. As he was on more than one occasion, King David is being, he is being hunted by King Saul. And King David is hiding in all of these caves. And he writes Psalm 142. It is a, a um, song which he composes out of a cave. We don't know if it's in the cave of Adullam or in the cave of Engedi, but, but, but among the things that he writes as he's being pursued by, by King Saul, he says, look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. And then what he says that, that especially is poignant about that song is when he says that there is no one who cares for my soul. And in so many ways, where King David is in this specific moment, his cry of distress to God reminds me so much of the cry of distress of this woman. I mean, this woman is suffering in every way that we can ever imagine. She is suffering in, in her body in a physical sense. As we read in the text, she has been suffering for 12 years. And I just want us to, to, to um, try as hard as we can. And just think about how much this world has changed in the last 12 years. It was in 2006, 12 years ago, and our president, of course, had been George W. Bush, who we saw just last week, a very moving moment at his father's funeral. It was a year that Saddam Hussein had been executed, and maybe that might not seem like, like it was really that long ago, but maybe it might most help us if we were to reflect on how much our own lives have changed in the last 12 years. Because 12 years ago, I was a, a um, first-year student at seminary, 
at sunset um, in Lubbock, Texas. I'm right there on the left. And I was just three years out of high school, guys. I mean, just three years out of my, my mom and dad's house. This is how long ago this was. I was not married 12 years ago, and yet I was having a date um, here on the left side with, 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 with a girl who's from Florida, whose name is Amanda, who I am embarrassing right now at this very moment. <laughs> We're on a date in this picture, and she um, just could not resist but to give me a kiss on my cheek. <laughs> and she still can't resist it. Hopefully after this, she will still not be able to resist it, but... I was not married 12 years ago. I mean, a lot has been changing in my life in the last 12 years. And as you can see on the right, I am seated with, 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 with my grandma and grandpa. And I lost my grandpa three years ago. And, and I just look at only these two pictures alone, in addition to everything thing else, all the places that Amanda and I have been, I mean, all over the world we've been. A lot can change in a person's life in 12 years. But for this woman, though, absolutely nothing has changed in her life. It's gotten worse, in fact. She has this condition, which is referred to in most, most of our translations as a hemorrhaging. There's really no pleasant way of saying this, but what this is code for is, is a disorder it is a menstrual and a uterine disorder. And in order for a Jewish woman to be considered pure or, or um, clean, you could not have a flow of blood for, for more than seven days. And yet, really the problem is, is that seven days is what is normal. But this woman has had this going on for 12 years. For this long, she has been in this infirmity. She has been unclean for 12 years. I mean, perpetual uncleanness in the eyes of her community. And what we need to understand about this woman is that this is a very lonely woman. This is a woman whose very existence is nothing but humiliation. Everywhere that she goes, oh, oh, she's unclean. There's that woman. Stay as far away from that woman as you possibly can. And here's a woman who is suffering, I mean, extremely. Now, in our text, we, we have the word affliction there. And when we see affliction, it is the Greek word mastiks. It is a word which means lashes. It's a word that means a torturous level of human pain. And yet, most descriptively, it is a word which means a plague. And we remember all those examples in the book of Exodus about all of these plagues that had come upon Egypt. And those were absolutely horrific for all of those Egyptians. And yet it lasted for a short while. And yet this woman who has the issue of blood 12 years, she is in a plague that never stops for 12 years. And there's another word which appears in our text. It is the word endured where she says that I have suffered at the hands of many doctors. And this is a Greek word, posko, which means to, to not just suffer, but it means to suffer extremely. It means as you are hurting, that you have this very heavy emotion, 
It means that you are undergoing evils. What is, what is most remarkable about this word? As it says that, that she has suffered at the hands of many doctors, it is the identical exact word which Jesus uses as he speaks about his crucifixion. He says that he, he begins explaining to his disciples how the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, notice, and suffer at the hands of the elders. And we all know what happened when he suffered at the hands of the elders, when he was flogged and crucified. This is a description. This is what the Holy Spirit chose to describe this woman's pain. It is akin to the crucifixion of Christ. This is no, no minor pain that she is experiencing. And yet to add insult to her injury, she's living in a culture, though, where if you were a Jewish woman, your very worth was, it was all riding upon childbearing. It was all about how many children you could have. And so I imagine every woman just about who this woman grew up knowing and having as a friend long before, they, they all have husbands and kids. And she sees people every single day on the street who have three or four or five or six kids. And yet this is her life right here. She is unable to have a husband. She is unable to have, obviously, children of her own. And so she is, I mean, completely isolated from the rest of the world. She is all by herself. She's suffering in a physical sense. But as we also saw in our text, she is also suffering financially. Because all throughout these 12 years, she has drained every single penny that she had fighting this infirmity. And yet the problem is, is that all of these doctors who she has gone to, maybe they have tried, but, but there's nothing that they could do for her. And she has tried until it cost her every last dime that she had. And as every one of us knows, oftentimes doctors are lifesavers. Doctors are a godsend. And yet I think that, that all of us have also experienced at the same time that even though doctors try, sometimes we are in a condition where there is nothing that our fellow man can do for us anymore because human intelligence only goes so far. We will find ourselves sometimes in situations where all that we can do is look up and to pray to God for an impossible miracle that nevertheless we believe is going to go down. She is suffering in a financial sense, but worst of all, worst of all, she is suffering in a spiritual sense. And that's because just like the leper who we read about last week, she too is singled out in, there in the book of, of Leviticus in the Law of Moses. This is a description of this woman where it says, Now if a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity. And then we, we once again see that exact same word. We see the U word given to a woman this time, where it just bluntly says she is unclean. Just like the leper, her identity, her very name changes. It shifts from whatever her name was 
Now, the only way that the world is ever going to see her again is that word unclean. You may as well use the word freak. You may as well use the word a pariah. This woman is a pariah. She is looked upon as if she is some, some horrible, terrible person who is ostracized, demonized, looked upon, treated as if she actually were a leper. And let me remind us that, that she did not choose this. She had nothing to do with this. She can't help this. And yet, if she were to walk anywhere near a synagogue, or to a temple, they would say, you are not welcome here because you are unclean. And I don't know if she ever felt this before, but if this was me, if this was 12 years of my life, feeling, I mean, completely overlooked, hated in some cases, not welcome in in a worship gathering, even by um, God's own nation, I might very well conclude God is concerned about all these other people. God, God loves them. And yet God doesn't care about me. God doesn't care. God doesn't want me. And because I am all by myself. And so this has cost her her dignity. It has cost her every dime that she had, as we saw. It has cost her her reputation, a chance to have a family. This is a woman who is completely and utterly unwanted, who feels utterly undesirable, and who just has to live every day of her life with this ferocious sadness, with this ferocious pain and ferocious loneliness lingering in her soul every single day. And yet I'll tell you what she has going for her, though. Really, the one single thing that this woman has going for her is that unlike so many people who we read about in the gospel accounts, men who had everything to lose and nothing to gain, the rich young ruler, scribes and Sadducees, this woman is the exact opposite of this. This woman has absolutely nothing to lose. And her heart is in a condition where she has everything in the world to gain. Or in other words, she is poor in spirit. This woman has nowhere else to look but, but straight up and to say, God, here I am. Whatever you want of me, that is what I want to be. This is the kind of heart that Jesus wants more than anything. Twelve years of suffering. And yet, this woman is a hero to me because even though she has suffered and lived this very lonely existence for these twelve plus years, she has a 12-year-old's faith. She has a 12-year-old's faith and determination. I mean, just think about how much determination it would require for a woman who is unclean. Nobody can, can lay hold of her. Nobody can even sit in the same seat as she had once sat in. For that woman to all, all of a sudden appear in a very large crowd and to push and to shove her way through this crowd Every single person who she is shoving herself into is now officially unclean in the eyes of the law. I mean, just think about that. But here is where this really begins to become a story. This is where all of this really begins to get very, very interesting. 
It's what we read in the verses just before we begin, where it says in verse 22 that one of the synagogue officials named Jairus, he, he, he approaches Jesus, and he falls at Jesus' feet, imploring him, saying that my little daughter is at the point of death. And he begs Jesus, please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and she will live. And so then upon hearing this, Jesus starts going off there with Jairus. And a large crowd had been following and pressing in on him. You see, this is significant because that very moment that this woman claws her way and she even crawls her way up to Jesus and she yanks on the um, hem of his garment. And Jesus stops everything that he's doing. This woman is stopping Jesus as he is on his way to go and to help a little girl who is just seconds away from her death. This woman is stopping Jesus when he's trying to help a little girl who's dying. And I think that it would have been so easy for this woman to conclude if she had overheard this. You know, I am really hurting here, but Jesus is busy. Jesus has more important things to do. This little girl is hurting a lot more than I am. Her situation is so much more severe than mine is. It's nothing compared to hers. I mean, she she so easily could have concluded that, I guess I'll just put on a, a fake smile and act like everything is fine in my life, even though it's not. And yet, this is something that we see in our world all the time. We don't know if she actually had, had any of those thoughts. And yet, I have had thoughts like this before. I have been told things like this. I have heard other people suffering hor- you know, just horrible things who have been told stuff like this. Everyone has problems. Or somebody else has it ten times worse than you do, so just ignore what what you're going through. Happens a lot, especially if you're a man going through certain stuff. You're told to man up, snap out of it, or stop feeling sorry for yourself. And maybe there are times and places where maybe one or two of these has their place. But with pain of this kind of magnitude right here, none of these is going to be helping anyone. But, but really, all it's going to do is just make the situation worse and worse and worse. And I have, I mean, I just can't tell you how angry that it makes me feel, how mad it makes me. When I see a person who is suffering something like this, something very, very complex that they, they feel as if they have to suffer in silence. And somebody else comes who doesn't know what that feels like and they begin minimizing what that person is going through. You see, just snap out of it is not helpful here. You, you simply cannot just snap out of 12 years of hemorrhaging. You can't just magically snap out a feeling like a freak show for, for more than a decade everywhere that you go. There is no magical switch in your head to just magically shut off clinical depression or transitioning into becoming a widow 
or the aftermath and the anxiety which, which neurologically comes from traumatic experiences. Human pain is human pain. Human suffering is human suffering, and it doesn't matter who has it worse than who. What matters is that we take this pain that we are experiencing, and that we do just what this woman did and take it to the feet of Jesus with a child's faith. This is what ultimately matters. And I love this woman so much because she, I think she has an even more radical faith in Jesus than, than our leper did last week. In fact, I'll take it a step further. We read about a man in the Gospels who, on this rare instance where, where, where one of us amazes Jesus with his faith, and he says, Lord, you don't even have to set foot under my, my house or my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. But this woman takes it so much further than that. Jesus doesn't even have to look at me. Jesus doesn't even have to reach out and touch me. If I reach out and touch the, really the most worthless tunic on his body, even then I'm going to be healed. There's no doubt whatsoever in my mind it is going to happen. And yet the most beautiful thing of all is what it was a week ago. And that is in the way that Jesus responds. As this woman falls on her face and she is at the feet of Jesus after she has tugged on the hem of his garment, I really want us to notice how Jesus responds to this. Now, there are a lot of questions that we might have about why this woman chooses to, to um, um, silently approach Jesus like this. It might be because she doesn't want all these people to know that she has just bumped into them. That is a possibility, maybe. Maybe it's because she knows that, that if she approaches Jesus face to face, maybe in her mind she's going to have to announce to all these people why she wants or, or exactly what she wants Jesus to help her with. And it's just so humiliating that she doesn't want to say this out loud in front of all these people again. And yet, regardless, this is how Jesus responds. At the end of the text, it says that immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power as it had proceeded from him had gone forth, it says that he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? That sounds like Peter right there. <laughs> um, in fact, in Luke's account, it is Peter. And yet Jesus looked around to see the woman who had done this. And yet the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And this woman did not merely reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment, but she reached deep into his heart and she grabbed his heart as hard as she could. Jesus' heart is so utterly sensitive when he sees intelligent adults trusting in him, believing in him, having faith in his ability, having confidence in his power, just like a little child would. 
all of these years of suffering, all of these years of being isolated, ostracized, demonized, being shunned, it's, it's all over in the blink of an eye. It's all over. And the thing about Psalm 142, as David is in that cave, yes, he does say that, that there's no one who cares for my soul. And yet the very next words that he writes in Psalm, 140, um, Psalm 142 in verse 5 is that I cried out to you, O Lord, and I said, you are my refuge. And that's exactly what this woman is doing. There is no one who cares for my soul, but nevertheless, O God, you are my refuge. You are the one whose name I cry out to. And so Jesus says three things here. He says, first of all, who touched my garments? And now one thing that we, we learn all throughout Scripture is that whenever we see God asking anybody a question, God is not asking that question so that he might learn something that he already does not know. But rather, God is asking this question here. Jesus wants to know this because he, he wants this woman to stand up and to tell her story. He wants all of these people in this crowd to know that an unclean woman just touched God. And that the moment that she did this, God made this unclean woman clean in the blink of an eye. And yet it gets even more moving, though, when he says daughter. I guarantee you it has been many, 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 many years since anybody has referred to her with a term of affection. I mean, just imagine all those years, however long it's been, in addition to those 12 years that she felt this you know, worthless. And the star of the whole show and the talk of the town is standing right there and he's saying, daughter. When Jesus says daughter, he is claiming this woman. He is, I mean, it's a word of ownership. Amen. He is confirming just how special and how important she really is. And then he says, go in peace. And that word peace is really what the main word of Advent is. As we read in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, that a child is born to us, a son will be given to us, and, and among all of those lofty attributes given to him is that he, his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. Amen. And here is Jesus stepping into the life of a sick person, of a lonely-hearted person and saying, go in peace. I know that you have lived all of these years being perpetually unclean. I want you to know that from now on, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and the day after that and the day after that and the year after that, for the rest of your life, you will be perpetually clean just like everybody else. He's setting her heart and her mind at peace. This is not a temporary fixture. This is a permanent healing. Jesus wants this woman, I believe, to, to forever remain in this very idyllic moment where she's standing there looking face to face with God the Son. And that moment where he slowly turns and he walks away to the house of Jairus. I don't think she ever got that out of her mind. You see, I love examples like this because the more that we hurt, and the lonelier that we feel, and the more naked that we feel in the shame of our humiliation, 
really the more that we are going to enjoy Jesus. And chances are the greater Christians we are going to be. If I could choose one person who I would want to be like other than Jesus, I would so much rather be like this woman than Abraham, Moses, or even Paul himself. I want to be like this woman so bad. And the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to those who are a prisoner. She was set free from her darkness. She was set free from that jail. And I just want you to know that it doesn't matter what other people might be going through. It doesn't matter what's going on in North Korea, in Afghanistan, or a Capitol Hill. It doesn't matter what all of these other people might be going through in regions that are being destroyed by earthquakes, by fires, and by destruction. God has time for you too. God cares about your pain and what you are going through. He's never too busy or too disinterested to care about our pain. But rather, our deepest, most darkest suffering is his main and top priority as we seek his peace, just as this woman had. And so I just want to ask us simply this. What darkness are we chained to this morning? What is there that we feel like for whatever reason we have to suffer silently and tell no one else about? Maybe it is clinical depression. Maybe it is that, that you were feeling very lonely since you became a widow. Maybe, I mean, it, just no limit to what we might be walking in here and concealing in our hearts and hiding behind fake smiles. What is important is that we seek out Jesus to rescue us, and that we make God our refuge. Is that we do not let the crowds intimidate us, is that we do not play the suffering Olympics compared to what others might be going through. But rather, what God wants us to do is, is to elbow and to crawl and to push our way through that crowd and to fall at Jesus' feet with a heart just like a child's. All it takes is a tug on the hem of his garment.